ladies, what a glorious day we have had, right? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What a glorious day. I heard several people say, and I would say amen to this. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, God, he just, when you're looking, he wants you to see. We've been talking about that all weekend. He wants us to see his glory. If I could get some lights back here, um, that would be really helpful for me. Because um, I can't see my Bible. And that's what we're here to do, right? Thank you, Amber and Rebecca, again. Such just blessed time and worship. And, you know, it's Saturday night. It's Saturday night. And you might, like me, might be asking, how in the world is it already Saturday night? Because every year it just seems like our fall Bible getaway days just fly by and we land here at this night and I'm like, how do we get here so fast? Anybody else in the room feeling yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah. I was swimming to the pool this afternoon and I'm like, I think I'll stay another week. How about that? <laughs> yeah. I would love to do that. Because I just love our fall Bible getaway moments together. I told you at the beginning of the weekend, this is my favorite weekend of the year. And, and it truly, truly, glory, hallelujah, right? Yeah. There's just something special about what God does here in this house amongst us and in us and through us and just for us. And I see it every year and every year he does it different. He has a new flavor, a new personality to it every year, but it just blows me away how you can bring this year 52 women into a house, many who have never met each other, and the sweet spirit of unity and seeking God together. It's just like a little bit of heaven on earth, and I'm just so, so thankful for it. We've had three days just to gaze at Jesus, and his glory has been just astounding, just so, so good. And I want you to know that even though we are closer to the end than we are to the beginning of this weekend, it isn't over yet, all right? There are some really special moments to come tonight, and we are really expectant for what's in store, and I hope you are too. At the beginning of the weekend, I asked you to posture yourself, to position yourself for more of God's glory. And I really want to thank you for, for doing that uh, this weekend. I have sensed this like leaning in amongst us this weekend. Some of you have literally been on the edge of your seat, like looking for God's glory in his word before your heart. And, and as a Bible teacher, I just want to tell you that is like just the best. Like that just gets me. Like I love that. I love that. And in many of our moments, I've seen it, not just when we're sitting here in Bible study together, but our crafting moments, talking and around the table, you know, just this eagerness, so sitting on the beach with people, sitting by the pool, all of it, just this eagerness to, to know God, to see God. And it's just so, so special for us to have that cry in our hearts. And so tonight, God, we are still crying out to you, right? Because there's an eternity of more to see of his glory. So we want to go back to our passage that we've been camped in all weekend in Hebrews 1. Probably by now your Bibles are starting to just naturally fall open there. And if they are, I say that's a really, really good thing. But also by now, maybe the words of verse 3 are flowing in your brain. And if they are, I say that's a really good thing too because our goal is to memorize that verse this weekend. So right now we're gonna say it for as far as we know. And again, we wanna say these words with the glory that they deserve. So start with me here. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Let's keep going. When he had made purification for sins. We're going to stop right there for now. You know, throughout the weekend, we've looked at each of these things, right? The radiance of God's glory, Jesus' glory, right? That we see in him. The exact representation of God in Jesus' nature. Jesus' power that upholds all things. I think that just really encouraged so many of us in the room this morning. So, so we say glory to those things, but tonight we still get to see more. More in that line that we just quoted from this amazing verse about Jesus. So I want us to take a moment and copy it down just like we've been doing all weekend. When he had made purification of sins, right? When he had made purification of sins. So just write that down in your journal right now. <laughs> Thank you. 
So now that you have that written down, or just finish up um, as you will, hopefully in your heart, um, but also in your journal, uh, let's talk about that, okay? So if there's anything about Jesus that we might think we already know about, that we might think we already have you know, seen before, I imagine it's going to be this, this line, right? When Jesus made purification of our sins. Because this glory is probably one of the first things we ever heard about Jesus. Right? It's central to our Christian faith. So I'm sure we're, we're familiar with it. Now, you might not have ever thought about it or said it out loud in those words when he had made purification of sins. For you, maybe it sounded more like this. When Jesus died for my sins, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, Jesus forgave my sins. But no matter how you say it, for most of us, if not all of us, more than likely, the knowledge of Jesus dying on the cross to cleanse us from our sins, it's not a new beam of glory for us to look at, right? In fact, I think if anything, it might be more likely that this glory of Jesus making purification of our sins might have become so factually familiar to us, so religiously acknowledged, that we know a lot about it, but we might not have experienced the amazing glory in here of that, okay? And I only say that because that's what happened to me and because I've watched it take place in a lot of other people and because I absolutely know that Satan wants to shield our spiritual senses from this glory more than any other. Because it's this glory that really holds the key to us experiencing all the other glories of Jesus. If our sins are not purified, right? If we haven't accepted that sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, then we can't see. The God of this world has blinded our eyes and we don't even see the glory. It's like we're living in a fog. So I want to share my own personal experience with you about this. How seeing, I wasn't seeing. And hearing, I wasn't hearing. And Jesus said that all through the Gospels, didn't he? He said, you see, but you don't see. <laughs> you're hearing, but you're not hearing. And I know that that is exactly what happened to me and maybe to some of you as well. So let me tell you about that. So many years ago, I came to this realization that the work of Christ's atonement for my sins, and that's just your doctrinal word for purifying our sins, dying on the cross for us, okay? So if you hear somebody use that word atonement, that's what they're talking about, okay? But I came to this realization that Christ purifying my sins was something that I sang about a lot in songs. I prayed about it in prayers. I was one who could discuss it in the small group. You know, we all go to our small group, life group, whatever you want to call them, okay? All the things we Christians do. But I realized that it rarely moved and deeply impacted my heart. The glory was somehow missing for me. Now, I would have never said that out loud, okay? Because I knew I'm a Christian. It's supposed to deeply impact my heart. But the reality was... The truth of Jesus purifying my sins when put on display in front of me in one way or another, it didn't deeply impact me. It didn't really draw out a heartfelt, uh, honoring response that Jesus was more than worthy of. I knew how to mentally give honor and assent to it. I knew it was central to the Christian faith. I taught about it. I could tell people facts about it and I knew how to move through the Christian things that we do that honor the truth that Jesus purified me from my sins and I even knew how to present myself in a way that said this is really glorious all right however I would confess that all of that was going on but I didn't know it in here I knew those things here but I really didn't know them here. And the Holy Spirit brought me to this personal awareness that Christ's purification of my sins wasn't truly glorious to me. So when I came face to face with it, the reality was this thing. My heart was still not satisfied. It was still looking for something else. 
And it was that very awareness that my heart wasn't satisfied, that it wasn't filled, when literally one, one of the most or the most amazing beam of Christ's glory was shining all around me, and I'm still somehow sitting in a place of dissatisfaction. I came to this awareness, there's something wrong with that. Something is off in that. And I believe tonight what the Lord would have me to do is to share with you how he changed that. How he transformed that, because I couldn't. And, and even for a while, after I got to that awareness, I was like, I need to feel deeper about this. How do I feel deeper about this? How, how do I manufacture a deeper feeling about it? And, and I tried that in lots of different ways, and I realized I can't do that either. So I just want to share with you tonight how, and this was many years ago, but how Christ took me from that place where I knew, but I didn't know. I didn't know, but he changed that. And it all has to do with the color red, okay? Which is the title of my message tonight. If you're using your note page, it's right at the top, the color red, all right? Now you might be thinking, you just lost me, all right? What does the color red have to do with any of this? Well, I'm gonna tell you, all right? So the color red, you got a beautiful red blanket right there for me, Debbie. All right, good. And it is, it's a strong color. It stands out, right? And red can bring about a lot of responses depending on how you look at it. Now we probably all have different ideas about it. I'm gonna share from my personal experience, okay? Two ways that were very opposite to each other of how I looked at red. And one of them was definitely the dominant way that red kind of spoke to me, all right? Red can be a color of harsh condemnation and criticism. I'll tell you why I thought that in a minute. Or red can be a color synonymous with love and freedom and celebration, and I'll tell you also about that. So maybe you can relate to those, maybe you can't. I'm, this is my personal experience, okay? And hopefully it's gonna help you to see how Christ changed this for me. So some of you might know that for quite a few years, I was a school teacher. I taught elementary school when we lived in Atlanta before my kids were born. And then later, after we homeschooled for a while, um, we all went back to school one year. And that, then I taught for the next four years in a classical Christian school. So being a school teacher, there was one thing that I was never without, and that was a red pen. Okay? I always, always had a red pen in my purse, in my book bag, on my desk, somewhere. They were all over the place. I, I could easily access one. And why was that? Well, because as a teacher, I spent every waking hour, I felt like, grading papers. And for me, that was especially so because I taught in a classical Christian school and they were required to write enormous amounts of things, which meant I had to grade all of those papers. And I taught middle schoolers. And I really needed a lot of red pens because if you've ever read essays by middle school kids, especially middle school boys most of the time, they're very, very painful to read. All right? I'm just being honest. So I needed that red pen to highlight all of their mistakes because I didn't want them to make them anymore. Their mistakes frustrated me after I stood in front of them for an entire hour explaining how we do this and then they turn in their paper and it's like they never heard me, right? And so I would have to write notes and put X's and big circles and sometimes even a big fat red F at the top that I circled three times. Can't you get the message? This is not how we do this. I am disappointed in you and I don't like what you did. Now that sounds really harsh and, and honestly, it probably was and I look back on that and I think, ooh, you know, because none of us like to get a paper back like that, right? Um, and maybe you've never held a pen as a teacher, a red pen like that. Any I know there are some teachers in the room, yeah? And maybe you guys don't even grade um, papers, like you do it online. On Yeah, yeah, that's just not even right. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I sat at soccer games grading. I didn't go anywhere. Thanksgiving dinner, I'm sitting there grading papers, you know, because there was just ever abundant stack of papers. But whether or not you've ever held a red pen as a teacher, I think we've probably all been on the student side of that, right? Where you have been handed that paper back. You know, even for all you straight A girls in the room, I mean, we know who you are, but um, 
you know, you get, there's got to be at least once where you get a paperback that's got a bunch of red marks on it. Or that big fat red F at the top that's circled three times with underlines and all, all of that. Or a, a note like, I'm really disappointed in you. Sometimes I even wrote it in a red Sharpie if I wanted them to really know it, you know? And I have, I just so you know, I repented of, of that. Someone. All right. Someone. But hey, before you get too critical, you know, maybe you've never been the teacher with the red pen, but we've all been the person, right? Holding the red pen metaphorically in our hand. We look at somebody's life and we mark up the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they act, the decisions they make, all of that, and we kind of hand it back to them with a rejection. I don't like you, whatever, you know? We, we all have done that as well. Red communicates condemning sometimes and, and that harshness, right? Um, even you think about, there's a lot of signs that like, stop, you know, don't come here. You know, red can just be really harsh. But completely opposite of that, a few times a year for me, red felt good because it represented good things, like Valentine's Day, right? You get red hearts experiencing love and they're all over and everybody's gushy and all that stuff, you know? July 4th, you put on your red shirt because you're gonna celebrate freedom, Christmas, red, red's everywhere and, and, and there's celebration there. So two perspectives about red for me. But what I really wanna share with you is how God used his word alongside these perspectives. We've talked several times this weekend about how God speaks to us in a way that it makes sense to us, right? He, he talked to Peter because he was a fisherman and he used fish a lot, right? And so he, he speaks to me, I was a teacher, and, and he uses analogies and word pictures that will make sense to us. And so I wanna show you how God used those perspectives about red alongside some scripture to really help me to understand what his motive was in purifying my sin. Because as I shared earlier, somehow I was looking and listening, but I was missing the glory. Now, just like so many of the other glories of Jesus, we literally could spend the entire weekend talking about the glory of Jesus purifying us from our sins. Because there's so much to look at there. But tonight, we are going to look specifically at the why. Why did Jesus do it? Why did he shed his red blood for our sin? In my life, it is the why that broke open the glory for me. That, that caused my blinded eyes to be able to see. My heart that was kind of just numb to, to break open and feel that deep impact. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us very clearly that he did it, right? That he made purification of sins. But that question that, that God answered in my life, and I think the question God wants to answer tonight for all of us is why did he do it? What motivated him to purify your sin and my sin? I mean, what was the desired outcome? If he was going to go through all of that, why in the world did he do it? Did he bleed the color red to mark up our lives with bold, harsh, shame-filled condemnation? Or did his blood flow to usher us into celebration of love and freedom? And how would we even know, right? How would we know what his heart was in that? Well, we can know by looking. We can know by gazing at Jesus. And so we're going to do that tonight. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to keep that truth that it tells us in Hebrews verse, or chapter 1, verse 3. Say it with me. When he had made purification of sins. we got to do better than that, ladies. Say it again. When he had made purification of sins. We're going to keep that as our backdrop. And we're going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a little back towards... Um, the left, okay, back from the book of Hebrews. And Ephesians is an amazing book in the Bible, one of my favorites. It's a book where the Apostle Paul spends so much time, especially in the beginning chapters of Ephesians, literally just talking about one glory after another of Jesus in his gospel. So there's a ton of glory to look at there. Things about Jesus, let's, let's think about those five qualities of glory. We want to go home remembering these. They are true. They're on display, they're distinct, they're deeply impacting, and they draw out a response from us. 
And that's what we see all over the beginning chapters of Ephesians. And tonight, we're going to read through um, some verses here, and we're going to actually come across quite a few glories, but we're going to stop and really gaze at one. So start with me in Ephesians 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So just picture the Apostle Paul looking at your life and putting a big circle around your choices and saying, no, that's a bad thing there. Big old X, big circle, whatever. He just marked you up with red. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You did? That's awful. Let's put an X on that too. According to the prince of the power of the air. You're listening to him. I told you not to listen to him. Underline that. Cross that out in your life. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Oh my goodness. You are such a disappointment. You did that. Indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You indulged. Didn't I tell you not to do that? And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, I know I'm poking a little fun as I read through that, okay? But there's no fun in that, really. Not at all. In fact, this is very serious stuff. Because we truly can read these first few verses. And the reality is, it's like getting your life back with a big red F at the top. Failure. And actually not even failing, like just dead. <laughs> I mean, because that's what it says. We were dead. We were such failures that, that we died in our sin. But as we keep reading, everything changes. Like the color red takes on a whole new tone, okay? See, read with me. It starts with two words in verse 4 that are extremely important. But God. See, when God steps in, his heart comes and everything changes. Even in the worst of situations. And ours was really, really bad. So what does it say? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that sounds a whole lot more like a gushy valentine, okay? Or a call to freedom. Verse 4, it says he's rich in mercy because of his great love. Verse 5, by grace he did this. Verse 6, he raised us up. He seated us with him. But why? Why did he do it? And that's the question we're asking. Well, when we were so bad off, I mean, literally our whole life could just be marked up with criticism and correction and shame and condemnation. Why would Jesus do that? Well, verse 7 gloriously tells us why. So let's gaze there. Read it with me. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, ladies, we're going to stop right now, and we're going to also copy that verse. Verse 7, right underneath where you copied that line from Hebrews 1, 3. So go ahead and take a moment to do that now. Ephesians 2, 7.
right, so let's look at this verse that you just copied, and let's, let's answer this why. Was it, did Jesus die? Did he shed his blood to correct and write a big fat F on your life? No. Does it say anything at all about God desiring to show you how messed up you were? Show you how much you were a disappointment to him? Does it say anything at all like that? No. Look at what you wrote again, and I'm going to read it as you look at it. In order that, in the ages to come, so in the future, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, clearly when we're thinking about why he did it, there's nothing there about Christ highlighting our failures. But there is everything there about highlighting what? His love and his kindness. Can somebody say glory, right? Because ladies, that is very distinct. That is not something you see every day. It's glorious. Because every day normal to us is you messed up and I wanna make sure you know all about it, right? You messed up and you should be ashamed of yourself. You messed up and so now you don't get that blessing or that benefit anymore. You messed up so that's it for you, I'm done, right? But what we find in Ephesians 2 is not in line with our everyday normal of what we see around us. So go back to verse 4. God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive with Christ. By grace we've been, we have been saved. And then you get down to verse 7, and it literally screams out the why. The why is that he was rich in mercy. That he loved us so greatly. I'll read it again for you. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And as I even read that, I'm praying, Lord, give us the spiritual senses to see this, to comprehend this. I'm even thinking of some just everyday context that could put this into a word picture for us. It's like, verse 7 is like, you bring home a paper with an F on it and your parents say, let's go out for ice cream, okay? <laughs> or it's like you cheated on your husband and his response is to give you a paradise vacation and just whisk you off because he just wants to show you how much he loves you. Or you steal something from your job and they promote you. Only magnify those things like a million times. Those, those ideas. See, the reason Jesus shed his red blood is to give vent to his amazing love and kindness. This kindness, this love had been pent up in his heart for centuries. I love the way that Dane Ortland, he's a writer, and he puts it like this. He said, God purified your sin so that his son's heart would have an outlet. Let me say that again. God purified your sin so that his son Jesus' heart would have an outlet. And then he goes on to describe Jesus' heart. He says, it's like a tight spring ready to pop open. He says, picture a dammed up river and it's ready to burst forth. That's the kindness. That's the love in the heart of Christ. And that is glorious because nobody has that kind of kindness. Nobody has that kind of love. And Ephesians 2.7 shows us it's that that motivated. That's the why behind Christ shedding his red blood to purify us. His purifying us was not about highlighting our dead hearts, our shame-filled hearts. But it was about highlighting his glorious heart that is fully alive and it's bursting with love and grace. What does it say? That he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness. Like that surpassing, like you can't even imagine how kind he is. Tonight at dinner, we tried to share some of the kindness. I mean, that's just a speck in the bucket of the, the wealth of kindness, the surpassing kindness in his heart. That's what is being highlighted here by his blood. It also reveals that purifying our sins was not about the poverty of our past, but it was about his riches being poured into our future. What does it say? So that in the ages to come, it's looking forward. Hey, I can't wait because we are going to have some amazing days now. I got all this kindness stored up for you, honey, and I am going to pour it out on you. 
That's what's being highlighted here, not the poverty of your past. The point is this. He poured out his blood, not as a critical teacher, marking up your life with a red pen. No, he poured out his blood because his heart was ready to burst open with love and grace. Totally different pictures of the color red. There is glory all over Ephesians 2, 7. But be careful to note, Satan does not want any of us to see that. So what does he do? He gets in our hearts and our minds and he distorts the why of Christ dying to purify your sins. He can't change the fact that he did it, but he can make sure you think a certain way about it. And so what he does is he uses that red blood to paint condemnation, shame. You should feel guilt. You should feel awful. You should cry every time you think about it because you feel so bad that Jesus had to die for you. Jesus shed his blood for you, and you should feel awful about that. Because you made him do that. Now, there is conviction of sin. Absolutely. And we, we've talked about Jesus being the lion, right? He is a lion roaring. He is a just God. And he does hate wickedness and sin. And there is a day that is going to come when he is going to judge that sin. And praise God, the blood of Christ has been applied to my life. And I pray to your life as well. I believe it has. And so we don't come under that judgment. And that's why we're so excited, right? But it's not just about that. What it really was all about was, okay, Jesus wanted to get us into a place that he could just start dumping out his heart on us. That's what it was really all about. We are powerless to change what has been or even the things in our life that are really still not in the greatest place of sanctification yet now. But if we're always looking at ourselves from a place of shame and, and from a place of guilt, it's like Jesus can't even do anything more. One of, the, one of the greatest things Jesus showed me early on in that whole communion journey that I told you about that I started a couple years ago was this. I used to always feel like I was supposed to cry during communion, just being honest. And I would feel so bad about, I don't care enough. Like, I, I must not feel bad enough. And the picture Jesus painted in my heart is I, I would read scripture and different things, and it was even a part of some of this, but this journey, because God's continually sanctifying and cleansing our minds, right? But he showed me what it's like for me when I go out of my way to buy something for somebody. And maybe I have to sacrifice some money or time or whatever. And I'm so excited to give them that gift, right? And I give it to them. And, and there's been times when I give people a gift and they're like, oh, I just feel so bad that you worked so hard on that. Or I didn't get you anything. I feel really bad about that. Oh, you shouldn't have. I wish you should. That just takes all the joy out of it, yeah. right? What I really wanted to see them do is be excited about it and be like, thank you. And I want to see them use the gift and love the gift and enjoy the gift. And I thought about that with Christ. And I'm like, if all I'm ever doing is I'm so sorry, I'm so awful, this is awful. And I, I mean, he did that for us because he wants to pour out his love and kindness. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't ever feel that sense of deep gratitude. And there are times and moments where we do need to just remember and go, wow, like we sang in that song, I was a wretch. I, I was lost. But praise God, it goes toward the future of what God has done and why he did it. The red is for glory. The red is for love. The red is for freedom and celebration. And that's what he wants us to know. Satan will try to distort that. But when we get in God's word and we see what God says, because this isn't the only place that highlights this, but we see what God says, it's almost like God is stepping in and saying, not today, Satan. You are not doing that to her today. I want her to see my heart. I want her to see why I died for her. And when we see this, not just with our eyes, but with the eyes of our hearts, that distinction of what Jesus has done here will deeply impact us. Because when you have been poured out on, when you know you don't deserve it, and you just see the kindness coming your way, you just can't help but be deeply impacted. And it's not normal. It's not normal. It's definitely glorious. 
But you know, even with the color red, it's so funny. Even on the good things, we can tend to make it not so good. You know, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard women say, I hate Valentine's Day. Or we don't even celebrate Valentine's Day. And I think, why? But you know why it is? Because as humans, we have a tendency to mess love up. <laughs> we just do. We just do. And we tend to operate from a very measured place of love. We keep a record of past mistakes, and we give love only when it's deserved. And often not an ounce more, right? And there's nothing glorious about that. There's nothing distinctly unique. We see that attitude all the time. And even as Christians, we fight against that. But it's still there sometimes, right? It's got to continually be sanctified. But a love that seeks out the broken, messed up, literally dead woman and decides to pour out, like can't wait, like is willing to love to the end, to pour out riches and kindness on her, I mean, that is, that, that, that's really, really amazing. That's distinct. That's glorious. I believe that most women, I know I'm generalizing here, but most women love a good love story, okay? We love a good love, good, goodness. We love a good love story, okay? And if the truth be known, I think deep in our hearts, we want to be one of the characters, like the leading character in that good love story, right? Because we're all desperate for love. We're all desperate for that kind of love. But more often than not, here's what happens. We wear our sin on our chest like a scarlet letter, even though we do play one of the leading roles in that love story. We do. But we wear our sin on our chest like a scarlet letter. It's paid for by Jesus, but it's highlighted by a stain of shame. And that's not even necessary. And even worse, it distorts the glory of the cross. Because the glory of the cross is that God would die for us in order to pour out the surpassing riches of his kindness and grace. As Christians, the red blood of Jesus purified us to be his bride. So for all of ages to come, he could continually and forever and ever pour out his kindness on his bride without measure. Like surpassing beyond what you could imagine. Not because you earned it, but because his love is so high, so wide, so deep. Christ is the groom, ladies, we all dream of. And he has sought us out to be his bride. And what a love story. What a love story it is. And we are playing one of the leading roles in it. And yet in my life and in interacting with others, how common it is for us to perceive Jesus' work of dying on the cross for us, shedding his red blood from a standpoint of shame and failure and burden to him. And that perspective produces a payback mentality I'm still earning mentality. I'm going to try my best to do better, Jesus, and maybe you'll like me then, right? And all that does is rob our joy, and it minimizes the glory of Christ's heart. As if we could ever pay him back anyway, right? As if we could ever do better on our own. He purified our sins so that he could pour out on us. That's why he did it. How kind is that? How good is that? How glorious is that? You know, we could have talked about so many things tonight in regard to Jesus purifying our sins. So many different things. But I just knew tonight the Lord would have us talk about this. This is what he wanted us to see. The glory of his heart. The riches of his love. He wrote it all over us in red. Not to shame us, but to pour out love on us. It was the best mushy, gushy Valentine you will ever, ever get. And I remember the time I first got that Valentine from Jesus. I became a Christian at the age of eight, but I always viewed God with a red pen in his hand, marking up my life with corrections, disappointment, failure, shame, I didn't want to view him like that, but that is how I viewed him. And while I think there were lots of times in, or lots of things in my life that really contributed to that mindset, I would say that number one for me 
was another part of my failures that needed to be cleansed, and it was that I wasn't in God's word. So instead of him telling me why he died for me, why he purified my sins, I listened to everybody else around me tell me, and I just assumed they were telling me the truth. Most of the time they weren't, or even if they were, they said it in a tone that indicated disappointment and shame, not love and grace. If I had been in the word, if I had been listening to God and seeking God, he could have told me the truth himself. He could have shown me that yes, he hates sin. He's a lion roaring against it. He knows how it destroys, but he could have shown me how he is a lamb with such a tender heart for me, yearning not only to die for me, to rescue me from that destruction, but to clothe me and feed me with this incredible kindness and blessing. Now for me, as my story moved forward, I didn't really get into God's word. I didn't begin to really seek God, even though I became a Christian at eight, until I was 29 years old, okay? But better late than never, because it did happen, and I'm very grateful. And I remember the day that God wrote in red all over my heart in a whole new way. See, months before this moment, I had gotten really serious about seeking God, listening to him in his word. And I found myself in this high school auditorium in a little conference that I went to with those two ladies I was telling you about this morning. And I was listening to the word of God being preached. I'd been in the word, I'd been learning his language, so things were making more sense to me than they ever had before. And that day, the glory of his love, his heart, his, his motives, these truths were being put on display right in front of me. And I, I literally felt something in my heart like shift. I sensed my eyes were opening up and I was seeing something that I had kind of seen before, but it looked totally different. I was hearing about something that I had heard about many times, but it had a whole new sound to it. And what I was beholding in front of me left me in awe and wonder because it was distinctly beautiful and it was true love. There was so ready to just pour out in my life that that was the why Jesus had died for me and it deeply impacted me and it because of that it started to draw out a response of worship that I will never forget it was so simple the simplest of songs I had sung it before but literally tears were just streaming down my face as we sang oh the blood of Jesus oh the blood of Jesus oh the blood of Jesus it washes white as snow the color red took on a whole new look for me that day. And I saw it was all about the heart of Jesus. Everything shifted. And my prayer tonight is that if any of us have been in that place, in our mental thinking about the death of Jesus for your sins, that the color red would shift tonight from shame and condemnation and correction to a place of un limited mushy gushy love for you that Jesus has and he just wants to pour it out on you the truth the distinction of this kind of love has been put on display in front of you may the Lord open our eyes to see this may he kick Satan out of the way with all of his harsh condemnation and criticism and lies about the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus is love love poured out on you applied to your heart so I would ask what is the response in your heart does that make you grateful is there an aha moment in, in this moment does it satisfy do you sense that okay Jesus is not against me he's for me I mean there's so many responses we could have the Lord has opened up his heart to us tonight he has shown us what the color red means to him and what he longs for it to mean to us. So how do we respond? How do we respond? I want to invite you to write out your response as a prayer in your journal under those verses. And I also encourage you to include a glory card. Something you've seen as you do so. And if you're still in a place where you know that this, this movement of Jesus in your life doesn't move you probably in the way it should, 
I would just ask even that you write out a prayer of, Lord, open my eyes. I'm waiting on you. Just watch and see what he does in the days to come. together, joining our hearts in prayer together. Jesus, the depth of your heart really just overwhelms us. We can't even really fathom a love like you have. I know even later in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays that, that, that you would open the eyes of our heart to be able to see the height, the breadth, the depth, the width of your love, God. We can't on our own, but we can as you get in the mix and you woo us to yourself, God. Your love is an exceeding love, a love that's above and beyond anything we've ever known. And it's, it's after, above all our failures. But our failures were not your purpose in shedding your blood for us. It's so hard for us to wrap our brain about that. Again, we always make it about us. But it's not about us. It's about you and how much you are about us, God. Your love was why you did it. That's why, Jesus. And there's such a glory in that. Your kindness 
makes our hearts come alive. Your love fills us with awe and wonder. Thank you for your word that so clearly reveals the truth. And I pray that we would tuck Ephesians 2.7 into our hearts like a, a love letter that we will never forget. That it would be so tender to us, so, so precious to us. And if our minds and hearts are still not moved, I pray that you would waken those dead parts of our hearts that cannot feel what must be felt. That we are loved with the deepest and the strongest and the purest love in the universe. Jesus, help us to see it. And when the enemy ever uses the color red to condemn, to highlight our mistakes, and he, he tries to connect your blood to that, to bring a sense of your anger, your disappointment. Remind us of what you prophesied about your gift in the book of Isaiah. This is what you said, God. You said, behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of my reeling, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. Instead, expect love, love, and more love. God, we don't deserve that, but we receive it. And we smile because our hearts come alive at that, God. Grant us the power to comprehend it, to know that you're not even looking back at what we were, but you're looking forward to the days ahead and all the surprises and all the blessings and all the goodness that you can't wait to share with us. Jesus, thank you. Our hearts cry out, thank you. We're humbled. We are love-struck women. We are in awe. Oh, Jesus. Glory to your name. Thank you for the blood applied. We receive it. We love the color red. We love it, God. Bring it on to us. Send it to us every day. Let us live in it. Every day, God. We are washed in your blood. We are cleansed in your blood. And we say glory, glory, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus.